Thank you for joining us to the podcast at Conduit Church. We're a community of Christ followers in the Nashville, Tennessee area. If you'd like more information about what we're doing here at Conduit in the United States or around the world, you can go to conduitchurch.com. Today we're blessed to be joined by Benny Prophet. Benny is the founder of First Priority in the United States as well as First Priority Global. First Priority is a discipleship ministry that is student-led. It meets on high school and college campuses. There are thousands of locations here and around the world. Benny also, though, has been asking a lot of hard questions these past few years, praying about, seeking, uh, asking the Lord for wisdom as to the future of what church here in America and around the world could and, and should look like. And he tackles some of those tough questions today. Hope you'll listen to the teaching. It's about an hour long, but I promise it's worth every minute of your time. Uh, it is great to be with you again, and I'm excited about the guys that are in Haiti. Uh, I've been to uh, been going to Haiti for over 15 years, and uh, been working in a totally different part up on the north coast in Port-au-Pay and St. Louis Denard, and uh, so I'm very familiar with what uh, what that country has faced, and uh, and I think Conduit Church really. Uh, a lot of it was born out of that mission in Haiti of people that came together. So it's a, it's a great part of, of the story of Conduit. And, and I'm excited about this church. I'm excited about Conduit. Um, the church is in trouble in America. It really is. The, I've, I've, I served on staff at um, churches for over 30 years. Um, the first church I served, my youth ministry doubled. I always served as youth pastor. And my youth ministry doubled. We went from five kids to ten. <clears throat> I mean, we had a great, you know, we doubled our youth ministry. It was great. Um, I've... I've served in a couple of churches that had over 10,000 members in their congregation. So I've seen very small churches, worked in them. I've served in very large churches. And, uh, you know, many times what I did is uh, you don't bite the hand that feeds you. You sort of defend what you're a part of. It's hard to be critical of what you're a part of. So you sort of defend it because that's where your money comes from. <laughs> and uh, so it's been interesting because the last uh, 15 years I've been able to be outside of being on staff at the local church. And uh, I've spoken in over a thousand U.S. cities and countries around the world. And usually when I go in, I speak to a network of youth pastors or pastors or church leaders. And so I've had a, a real interesting journey over the last 15 years to get a perspective and to sort of step back and listen and look beyond my little world that I was in and be able to maybe evaluate um, what I thought, what I believed, maybe even reevaluate what the Word of God says about the church. And that's a healthy thing. So I'm not here today to condemn anything. But I, I will tell you this, some of the things we're going to talk about today... Uh, it, it, when Jesus went into the synagogues and the temples and talked about some of these things, they either tried to stone him or throw him off a cliff. Many times he would say things and they'd, they'd go, we don't want you here. So uh, 
I told my wife this morning, I said, uh, bring a notepad, but don't bring any stones to throw. Uh, so I really, today I hope you did bring your notepad, but I hope you didn't bring any rocks because we may say some things today that uh, challenge who we are or what we think uh, as the church. But let me say that's a healthy thing. The Bible's full of test. You know what Jesus said we test? You know what Jesus said? He said, test everything. Isn't that interesting? That's what he said. So you know what? I'm going to ask you today to put me to the test. You always test the message. Don't look down on prophetic utterance, but test every spirit to see if it's from God. Test the messenger. Not everyone who speaks to you is a true prophet, a, a, a messenger of truth. He said there are false prophets. There's false doctrine. So uh, it, the, the scripture says, test your faith to see if you're of the faith. So uh, it's, it's good to have a test, to test ourselves, to see where we are. And my wife's a public school teacher, been doing that for over 30 years. I was a school teacher early on in my youth ministry, is bivocational. And every week we ended the week with a test. What would happen if Darren was teaching or I were teaching, you had someone teaching on Sunday, and then on Friday you were given a test on what we said? Uh, the truth is, if you don't write down what we talk about, you'll forget 99 to 100% of it. So I always encourage people to take notes because the truth is what you hear, you forget. What you see, you remember. What you do, you understand. Any of you that's been a part of education learns that the, the worst way to learn anything is through a lecture. And guess what we do every Sunday morning across America and around the world in church? We give lectures, which is the absolute worst way to teach anybody because nobody remembers what you said. In fact, I always tell... Uh, Pastors, we talk about how important it is what we say and we study and prepare. And I always ask people, I said, uh, uh, name the five favorite. Tell me about the five favorite messages your pastor has taught you this past year. And people look at you and go, um, I don't remember one of them, <laughs> much less five. I always say, name your five favorite people who've influenced your life the most this year. Isn't that Interesting. We can name the people, but we can't remember the messages. So we, but never let this be a replacement or a fulfillment of your pursuit of knowing God. Don't, don't let a, a, a time together on Sunday morning fulfill your pursuit of knowing God. Because pretty much uh, people forget what you hear. That's something you need to do every day. The scripture does not tell us to memorize. It never says memorize the word of God. Do you know that? People say, well, we need to memorize the Bible. Memorize scripture. It's not in the scripture anywhere. You know what it says? It says, meditate on the word of God day and night. Meditate on the word of God day and night. It doesn't say memorize. It says meditate on. It's a totally different dynamic. So uh, how many times even in the Old Testament they would go to the temple... And they would go on a time like this where followers of believers would gather. And in Jeremiah chapter 5, it says, oh, you go to the temple and you think you're safe. But he said on, uh, on Monday through or Sunday through Saturday, whatever it was in the Old Testament, 
When you're not at the temple, you worship the Baals, B-A-A-L-S. You worship Baal. And I thought, well, that's sort of crazy. Why would they go to church on Sunday and worship Baal on Monday? Worship idols or images. You know what the, the Baal gods were? They were the gods of prosperity and sexuality. So how many people go to the temple on Sunday and worship God, and on Monday through Saturday worship the Baals? Prosperity and sexuality. What happened in Jeremiah chapter 5 goes on today. We're really not that much different, are we? When we look at our culture and we look at the condition of the church. One of the things we've talked about with the staff here um, is what, what conduit is, what it's wanting to be, what it's wanting to become, what it's wanting to fulfill, uh, what it means to be the church. And it all starts with understanding. Perception is reality. How many of you ever heard that? Perception is reality. How you perceive things is how you're going to respond to them. How you think is how you're going to act. So what does God judge? The motives of the heart or the mind. Uh, No longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Think a different way. Philippians 2, have this same mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're going to function as the church on what we understand about the church. That's what I, I, I did. I had an understanding that was passed on to me. I have a seminary degree. So I've, you know, I've sat under the teaching of some incredible people. And uh, very honestly, I think my understanding of or the way I function as a believer, as a member of the church, was really all wrong. And so I began when I sort of got outside the structure or the system or the institution and began to peer in to the institution that that hired me and funded me, I was able to maybe look a little bit more clearly at what what it is. In fact, a lot of uh, uh, fellowships, congregations, uh, bodies of believers that are forming today are, are being formed out of frustration, the holy discontent. I've been to in different churches. I've been, I had different experiences. I've done this. And there's something missing either in me or in that. There's a discontentment. You know what the number one uh, motive for change is? What's the number one motive for change? Discontentment. Uh, why do you think you put pictures of really big people in your refrigerator? When you're trying to lose weight, they say, take a picture of yourself and stick it on your refrigerator. So when you come to look, there's, you create what? Dissatisfaction or discontentment. So you're willing to make the necessary changes. So we are, we like to be comfortable. Uh, we, we like to, everything to be comfortable and convenient. And really, a lot of the churches that I worked in, you know what a lot of our meetings were about? How do we create a comfortable, convenient way for people to come together? Really, I mean, we, we sat and had those meetings. How can we make this more convenient? More, You know, I look at the cross, and I don't see anything comfortable or convenient about the cross. So many times I had to go, i got to look at this thing. I, I, can I honestly look at it, evaluate? I want you to turn to... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We're going to look at that verse today. <laughs> I know Darren has been leading you to talk about uh, 
what is our church? What, uh, who are we? Uh, what do we look like? What are we to do? Um, one of the big struggles, and we're going to talk about that today, is uh, uh, buildings. You know, uh, uh, I do, I'm not here to condemn anything today. The last church I served in had $90 million worth of buildings. $90 million worth of buildings. And you know what I found there? I found a lot of people who love Jesus in those buildings. But, but I had some struggles with some of the things I saw too. So this is not to condemn. I, I hope today we can take a really honest look. Sort of back up and say, let's look at the church. Did you know that Jesus <clears throat> did not come to build the kingdom of God? We say, well, let's build the kingdom. Let's, we're gonna, I hear that language all the time. And I probably used it many times in my ministry. Let's build the kingdom. Jesus didn't come to build the kingdom. You know why? It's already built. You know where the kingdom of God is? It's from everlasting to everlasting. It's an eternal kingdom. It's already there. Jesus did not come to build the kingdom. He came to reveal the kingdom that already existed. And he came to make a way for us to be a part of it. He said, I am the way. I am the door. I, I enter through the narrow gate. In other words, so he proclaimed himself as the way to enter the kingdom. So who gets to go in to the kingdom? Jesus did not come to build the kingdom of God. He came to reveal the kingdom of God. That's why he came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Luke four forty three. He said, and I, uh, he said, and I'm, I will go city to city and proclaim the kingdom of God. For this is the reason I came into the world. He did not come to build God's kingdom. He came to reveal God's kingdom. So what's the church? He came to build his church. I think it's Matthew 6, 16, 18, the encounter with, with Peter. And he said, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the whole thing is, what is our idea, our image? What is our perception that creates reality? What is the church? Now, if you ask people outside, those of us who believe and follow Christ, and you ask them, what is the church, what would they say? What would they tell you? It's a building down on the corner. Which church are you talking about? You know, what's the address or what's the label on the front? Is, is it a Baptist church or a Methodist church or a Catholic church? So outside the church... When people look into the church, they identify the church as a building. Now, those of us who are on the inside of the church, we know better than that, but we do the same thing. Uh, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to church at Independent, you know, so we start, what do we do? We start identifying a location and a meeting time. Is that the church? Absolutely not. Was I guilty of that? Absolutely. You know. Because it is when we gather. Well, what does the word, uh, the study of the church? E uh, ecclesiology, ecclesia, the word in the, in the New Testament for the church. What does that word mean? What does the word ecclesia mean, the church? It means the gathering. So most people think, well, when are we the church? 
when we gather. So the whole thing is, uh, when's your church meeting? You've got the schedule. In fact, it was so funny. I was in Hawaii, and I was at a Buddhist temple. We, I thought, we're going to look at the Buddhist temple. And I looked on the, uh, walked in, it said, Sunday school at 9 o'clock, children's. I was going, in a Buddhist temple. I'm going, hmm, that's interesting. They had their school, too. Looked very similar. I mean, I looked at it, and I went... That looks just like my church when I walk in there. Saying, you know, how many people were in attendance? I mean, in a Buddhist temple. What is the church? What did Jesus come to build? Well, I think you have to go back one step further. Not only what is the church, but why the church. So we're going to do why. Ephesians 3.11. God's eternal purpose. Um, and then we're going to get to 1 Peter 2, 9. Ephesians 3, 11. And God fulfilled His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. So God has an eternal purpose. And I think until we understand what was in the mind of God, until we understand God's purpose, it's hard to understand our purpose, right? So, And here's what I believe God's purpose was. <clears throat> I believe God's purpose was to... Create a people, God's purpose in creation was to create a people that bore His image and that would live with Him forever. Does anybody have a problem with that? I mean, I mean I'm not asking, I'm not a... But that God's purpose, what did God have in mind when He created us? He was creating a people that was like him, that bore his image in the beginning, and God created man in his image, in his likeness. And then, so, uh, I think the last time I was here, I spoke to you about a home and a family. You know what a home and a family is? It's a group of people that bear each other's image that live together. That's why the kingdom of God is like, the picture of a kingdom of God is like a home and a family. You know what God wanted in creation? He wanted a home and a family. Do you know the great common denominator of every person I've ever met, whether they're in America or Africa or India or whether they're Baptist or Buddhist or whatever? The great common denominator of every person I've ever met, you know what they all want? A home and a family. We were created in God's likeness, weren't we? So, <clears throat> what is the church? Well, we find out that the people in, in, in the Garden of Eden, when sin entered, and they no longer bore God's image. Now, there are some, uh, there are some, there are some things that we've got to understand that we say all the time that aren't necessarily true. One of them I used to say is, let's build the kingdom of God. That's not what we don't do. That's already built. The other thing is that uh, we're all God's children. Well, no, we're not. And we're all, we were all, uh, we're, we're all created in His image. No, we're not. We were meant to bear His image. If you look at Genesis 1, Adam and Eve were created in the image. If you look at Genesis 5, Adam and Eve had a child named Seth to replace the son that was killed, and he was born in the image of Adam. Read it. Do you know what we're born into? The image of sinful men. That's what we're born into. We're not born with the image of God. And, and, you know, to be born with the image of God, you know what you have to be? Born 
again. Because I hear it all the time. Well, we all, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. Well, we're all created in the image of God. I said, sorry. If I read the New Testament right, we're created in the image of this world. No longer be conformed to the image of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> and so you know what I'm like? I'm not like God. I'm like this world. And I walk in darkness. That's what he says. I walk in darkness. So God's eternal purpose was to have a home and a family. A people that bore his image that he could share his kingdom with. To give his what he had as an inheritance. My wife and I talk all the time. You know, we've got children and grandchildren. And we talk about, <clears throat> oh, I wonder what, what have we, uh, you know, what, have, what do we have that we're going to leave as an inheritance to our children? We were talking about redoing our will. We travel a lot sometimes. We wanted to check our will to make sure what little we had, you know, but we have an inheritance for our children. And we're, uh, you know, that was God. That's what he was doing. He says, what are we as his children? We're heirs to his kingdom. Language is all there. So <clears throat> what is the church? Let's look at First um, Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. You know what Jesus came to do? Jesus came to start a race of people. Because the race of people that was created in, in Eden fell into sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the image of God. The glory, his image, his reflection. All we like sheep have gone astray. We don't bear God's image anymore. We're, we bear the image of this world. And if you, to bear the image of God, you have to be born of God. Right? So Seth, in Genesis chapter 5, was born of Adam, a sinful man. And thus the curse and the fall and a fallen creation. But God had an eternal purpose. And His eternal purpose was to have a family that bore his image, that would inherit his kingdom. You know who that family is? The church. God's chosen people. God, the, this people for his own possession. You know when he made the covenant with Moses in, uh, on, on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, what did he tell that Israel would be? God's chosen people for his purposes. And so in the New Testament, we use the same language. God's chosen people for his purposes. Because we are all walking in darkness. We all are conformed to this world, born into this world, of this world. And now we have to be taken out of darkness and born into the kingdom of light, of truth. The church is a nation of people. The people of God for his own possession that bear his image, that fulfill his purposes in, in obedience, and that will inherit his kingdom. 
Nicodemus came to Jesus and he didn't ask how to be born again. Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how can I enter the kingdom? How can I be a part? And he said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he'll never enter the kingdom of God. If you want to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born again. Uh, I always had a little problem with, um, or, or not problem, understanding. Jesus, do you notice that the hero of all of Jesus' stories were Samaritans? Well, there was the, the politician, the Levite, who covered the law, and here was a guy, uh, the, good, the good neighbor, you know, the, the story of who is my neighbor. Well, the, the, the lawmaker, the politician, walked by. He was, you know, then came the priest. Well, he had to get to church, so he walked by. So the, the politician and the, and the preacher went by. But this old Samaritan stopped. What's a Samaritan? It's a half-breed. Samaritans were hated by the Jews because it was either a Jew that had married a Gentile and they had offspring or a Gentile that married a Jew and they had offspring. So Samaritans were the offsprings of Jews and Gentiles. You know what a Samaritan was? It was a Jew and a Gentile living in the same body. That's what it was. They were a half-breed. You know who Jesus was? He was God and man living in the same body. Do you know why Jesus used the Samaritans? Who uh, There were ten lepers that were healed, but only one returned. It was the Samaritan. There was a woman at the well, and she said, uh, some, some worship God on the mountain. Our ancestors, your ancestors worship God in the temple, uh, but a day is coming when you will worship me in spirit and truth. The Samaritan woman. Why were the Samaritans? You know, I believe the Samaritans were always the, the people in Jesus' example because the Samaritans were a picture of the church. Because you know who the church is? The church is Jews and Gentiles becoming one. Jews had to leave Judaism, religion, the law. Gentiles had to leave sin and rebellion. And out of the two, I'll make one. You know what Peter said? Out of the two, I will make one new man, one new mankind, one new race of people. Jesus said to be born, he must be born of flesh and the spirit to enter the kingdom. Two things. Born of flesh and the Spirit, two being one. We've all been born of the flesh, but we must be born also of the Spirit if we're going to enter the kingdom. Two becoming one. You know who you are as a as the church? You're God living in a man. What? Oh, I thought that's what Jesus said. Don't you know who you are? That you're the temple of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in me also lives in you. Jesus came to start a race of people that were born both of flesh and the Spirit. And this race of people would be the only ones who would enter the kingdom. Jesus came to start a race of people. The church is not a meeting on Sunday morning. It's not a congregation with a label. The church is a nation of people that have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, who have been born of His Spirit and now possess His nature, His image, and who will inherit His kingdom. That's who the church is. A holy nation. A peculiar, why are we a, a peculiar people? You know why we're peculiar people? Because, you know, before we came to Christ, you know who we were? 
We were aliens and strangers to God and His kingdom. We were a product of this world. We were in this world. We liked this world. We loved this world. And we did everything that the world told us to do. And we were aliens and strangers to the commonwealth, to the kingdom of God. And when we came to Christ, we entered the kingdom. And now we became aliens and strangers to the world. We don't fit in anymore. You know my biggest problem I have? I want to fit in. You know what? I want to be a believer. I want to follow Jesus and I want to represent Him. I want people to see Jesus in me. And I want to go into a world that likes me to do it. So how can I make it convenient and comfortable? And how can I make this thing really pretty and beautiful? How this thing about living the Christian life so that people who walk in darkness will want that? doesn't happen that way. Jesus said, if you are a part of my kingdom and now you are an alien and stranger to this world, you can't love the world and love my kingdom. And if you live the way I tell you to live, the world will hate you just like it did me. I struggle with that. I'm being honest. I'm thinking the best way I could be a great positive impact in the world today is if the world, if I could get the world to like me, they'd listen to what I said. And Jesus said, if you say what I tell you to say, the world will hate you. Conflict. But I did that. And I'm still prone to do that because I want people to like me so they'll listen to me. And Jesus said, you're an alien and a stranger here. You don't belong here anymore. In fact, all you are here is an ambassador and an, an agent of reconciliation. He called us two things. He said, you're ambassadors. You know what ambassador is? An ambassador is a citizen of one kingdom that lives in another kingdom representing the kingdom he's actually a citizen of. Joe Rogers, a Nashvilleian, he passed away a couple years ago. Joe Rogers was the ambassador to France under Ronald Reagan. And I was in a Bible study with him and some others. Great man of God and a city leader in Nashville for many years. And he was the ambassador to France. And he said, you know, I don't live in America. I live in France. So I'm not in America, but America's in me. Because when I'm in France, I'm an American. And I, I, I speak as an American, I live as an American, and I represent America while I'm in France. You know what he was? He was an ambassador. You know what we are? We're citizens of another kingdom. We're part of a whole new race of people that don't belong here anymore. We're, we were once part of this world, Aliens and strangers to the kingdom through Christ. We're now a holy nation, a peculiar people called by God to be his chosen people set apart from the world. And now we're aliens and strangers in this world. And it's no fun to be an alien or a stranger. That's who we are. So how do we conduct ourselves? Well, let's conduct ourselves by having holy men who speak from a holy book on holy days and let's have holy rituals. Let's set up a system of religion. Let's look at our, I've got a slide up here. Let's put our slide up. Go to the, go to the slide with all the, the five things. We'll come back to this one. That, that arrow you see pointed up is really a church. <laughs> it's a temple. 
<laughs> you look at it, and now you say, oh, yeah, it's a church with it. Didn't have a... But if you, if, you, if you look at this one, if you look at the first one, it would have the Star of David over it. You know what it is? It's a holy place for holy men to say holy things out of a holy book and do holy rituals. All right? And you know what the next place is? It's a Christian church, and it's the way people view it. Well, it's a holy place where holy men teach out of a holy book, and they have holy days and do holy things. If you look at Islam, you know what it is? Temples and priests. They have holy places and holy people with holy books, and they do holy things on holy days. You know what Hindus do? They have Hindu temples. You know what's in them? Holy men that read out of holy books that do holy things on holy days. You go to a Buddhist temple, you know what they are? They're temples where holy men read out of holy books and do holy things on holy days. Is that all we are? Are we just another religion? Satan is a great um, counterfeiter, isn't he? If all we are is a place where we have holy men that read out of holy books to do holy things on holy days. Have you ever seen those little bumper, stemper, bumper stickers coexist? If you don't understand who we are as the church, we just look like everybody else and the people on the outside looking in, you know what they say? Why can't you all got, why can't you guys just get along? You're all the same. That's what we've created. And I don't think that's is what God intended whatsoever. We just look like everybody else. He said, you're a peculiar people. You're different. You're holy. What's the word holy mean? Set apart, different. You're not like everybody else. You're a holy nation. You're mine. I, I bought you. I possess you now. You're my possession. You're, don't you know that you were paid for with a price? And now you're his child who possesses his spirit, who bears his image, who is to live in obedience to him and will someday inherit his kingdom. Boy, that obedience thing, it's tough, isn't it? It's called holiness. It's called obedience. Why do you think the Bible tells wives to obey their husbands? That's dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> Say, I knew he would go there. Uh, children, obey your parents. Is it because... The husband is superior to the wife or the parent is superior to the child? No, because obedience is, the, is a sign of love. Jesus said, if you love me, why don't you do the things I say? God teaches us in our own homes to be submissive and obedient to each other. By the way, man, you know, Ephesians 5.22, you, you need to read 5.21 before you read 5.22. Because right before it says, submit yourselves unto one another. <laughs> Wives to your husbands, husbands to your wives, children. Wives, obey and honor your husband. Husbands, love and die for your wife. Children, obey your parents. Parents, teach your children to obey the God and raise them up in His likeness. It's a mutual submission. It's not a, a org chart with superiority. It's servanthood. Jesus said the greatest in my kingdom would be the one who what? Who served the best. Who was the best servant? But obedience is simply a way in our own homes to teach us ultimately to learn how to do what? Obey God. 
Because obedience is the number one sign of respect and love. So the church, Israel and the church are pictures and the reality of the people, the chosen. Israel in the Old Testament who believed. Not everyone who is born a Jew is of Israel. That's what he said. Because it was faith. And not, not everyone who goes to church is a, is a believer. Scariest verse in there, Matthew 7. And where Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the will of my Father. So what is it that we do? What's the church do? Who are we? We're His chosen people. We're His children. We're born of God, born of His Spirit. Unless a man is born again, he will not enter the kingdom. Unless a man is born again, he is not part of the chosen. You must be born of flesh and the Spirit, the Samaritan. Born of flesh as a Jew, born of the Spirit as a Gentile, vice versa. (laughs) Born of the Spirit as a Jew, born of the flesh as a Gentile. Because who were the Jews? The children of God, born of Spirit, born of flesh, the two becoming one. So the church, so who are we? We're God's people. Uh, We're not a building or a congregation that meets on Sunday led by holy people that read out of holy books that do holy things on holy days. You know what Peter said? He said all days are holy. And he said, you know what? And all believers are priests. You know who speaks for God? We all do. You know who represents God in this world? We all do. We're His children. There's no hierarchy. So what about Ephesians 4? And He gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service until... Don't forget the until. You need to read that. Until the church is brought to complete unity of the faith, one faith, until every man is made complete in Christ. Man being mankind, man and women. Until the church is brought to complete unity of the faith and that every believer is made Christ-like. That's what leaders in the church do. That's their role. They're servants. That's another thing we've gotten so far off base. Well, they're the holy men. They conduct holy things out of holy books on holy days. That doesn't exist anymore. We're all holy. We're a holy nation. We're all priests before God. We're all messengers of the truth. There's not a select few And the leaders described in Ephesians chapter 4 are to equip the saints to do that. Now the churches I grew up in, most of the churches I grew up in and worked in, the people in the congregation paid the staff to do those things. That is reality. That's what happened. You know why? Because we were the holy men. 
And we were to do holy things on holy days out of the holy books. Is this God's holy word? Is this a holy book? Not really. This is just leather and ink and pages. Nothing holy about this. You know what the Word of God is? The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the Word of God is? It's Jesus. And you know what this is? This is a written record of who He is. You know why this book is so valuable? Why we might call it holy or different? Because it's a written record of the living Word. And so do we study this? Absolutely. Study this book because you know what it's going to tell you? It's going to tell you who Jesus was. And it's going to tell us how to conduct ourselves in this world because we're not of this world anymore. We don't belong here. And you know what the biggest problem I have as a believer is I want to serve God and belong to the world. I want to fit in. I'm just being honest. I want people to like me. I want to be able to get things done, so how do I fit in? And you know what the Scripture says as the church? You don't belong here anymore. But we sure try to, don't we? Guilty. Let's um, go back to the other one. The uh, In the Old Testament... The church, the people of God, the Jews, they met in tents. And the tents were a, were a place where God and man met. And then they went from the tents to what? The tabernacle. Tent was the tent of meeting. Who? What was the first tent of meeting? Who's, whose tent was it? It was Moses' tent. Moses took his tent, his own personal tent he lived in, and moved it outside of town. And he went out and talked with God. And Joshua would sit outside the tent, and God would talk to Moses in the tent. The tent. Then they said, well, let's build a bigger tent. So then they had this tabernacle. They built it, and they took it with them, if you'll remember. They packed it up. You got pictures of it. Because the tent, the synagogue, was bigger, and they had more ceremonies, and had all this stuff in it. Then they said, all right, we can't carry this thing everywhere. So the, what's the next thing they went to? The tabernacle, the temple. So it was stationary. The tent went with them. Wherever they went, they took the tent and they set it up and that's where they did their stuff. And then they built the temple. The, well, I think the tabernacle. So the synagogue. Yeah, the synagogue. The tabernacle traveled. The synagogue was stationary. And then we get Solomon's temple. And that's, that's where God reigned. That's where God dwelt. The only problem is, is, is that God did not ask Saul, uh, David to build a temple. David asked God if he could build a temple. He felt guilty. He was uh, at the temple. He says, uh, I live in this big palace, and God, you still live in the tent. What's wrong with that picture? <laughs> so why don't I make you a house that's bigger than mine? And God said, first of all, David, I don't live in houses made of stone. No building can contain me. And number two, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. But if you build it, if you're going to build it, I get to tell you how to build it. 
So all of a sudden, here comes all these instructions about the temple. And boy, you can read them on and on and on and on. And you know what design God used to build a temple? How many of y'all know? Go ahead and say it. What was God's plan? What was God's pattern to build the temple? Come on, guys. The Garden of Eden. Inside the temple, the Garden of Eden was reconstructed. Look at the tapestries and the tabernacles, and here are the trees, and here's this and this and this. And you go back and read the, and there, this was made out of gold and this special thing. God said, all right, if we're going to meet, it's going to look like the place I designed for us to live together. He actually chose all the dynamics of the garden to build the temple. But he still said, I don't, I don't live in houses made of stone. <clears throat> so there we go. And how good are we at building temples? They're on every street corner. But in the New Testament, you know what Jesus said? You're the temple. We're meeting in a school. Where's the temple? The temple is sitting in the chairs. In the New Testament, all those things in the Old Testament were symbolic. They were leading to the truth. And the truth is, is that you're the temple of God. You're where the Spirit of God dwells. And... It's, remember in the, in the Old Testament, when there was a tent and a tabernacle, God went where the, temp, where the tent was. Then they said, well, let's build synagogues that are stationary, and then let's build the big temple. And we thought, well, we have to go where God is. And you know what the Scripture says? No, God goes with us. He lives in us. We're the temple. So who are we? Are we a group of people that meet on Sunday morning to, you know, to proclaim things and listen to holy men that tell us holy things on holy days and do holy rituals? That's not who we are. We are God's children who bear His image. and We are messengers, uh, and strangers and aliens and messengers of a kingdom that's not a part of this world. And we ask people to come into that kingdom. And Jesus said, there's a way into that kingdom. And what's the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the door. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. We need to really know who we are. What the church really is. The church is a nation of people. It's not just a congregation. Now, a nation, if you look at a nation... Well, America's a nation, but we live in towns and villages, don't we? If I live in Thompson Station, Tennessee, am I still a part of America? Absolutely. Because even though I'm here, I'm still a part of America. Even though we gather here, we're still a part of, of a nation of people, believers all over the world that are, no, that are now aliens and strangers here. They don't belong here anymore. We need to understand who we are. Who leads us? The Bible says who leads us? Ephesians 4. And Jesus, and Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, God's children, the redeemed, His chosen people, to do the work of ministry until... You need to go back and read that. 
until the church is brought to complete unity of the faith and every person made mature in Christ. You know what? One faith and one image that we bear. We're all to bear the same image. We're all to look alike. And what's the image that we bear? The image of God. And who's Jesus? The visible image of the invisible God. So we pursue Christ's likeness. That's how we learn to bear God's image, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed into His likeness. So now we are His children that are like Him. We bear His image, and we're to be messengers of His kingdom. Who was Jesus? He bore the image of God, and He was what? He went city to city proclaiming God's kingdom. That's who we are in this world. And I'm, I, my struggle is I try to fit in. But if I live the way Jesus told me to live, and I say the things Jesus told me to say, I will not fit in here. I don't belong here anymore. So what do we do while we're here? We live as Christ lived. We are messengers of His kingdom. And we wait until His promises are fulfilled and the kingdom comes. That's what the church is. So do we keep meeting? In the first century, uh, they stopped meeting. And Paul instructed him, he said, Now don't continue to gather, you know, because some have forsaken even gathering together. Once they realized who they were, that they weren't just a gathering, that they were a people. And they weren't there to conduct themselves with religious ceremonies. They were there to live out the life of Christ in front of people and be messengers of His kingdom. That's who the church is. And how quickly fall into the trap of what? Old Testament Judaism. Who led that? Constantine in the third century. Constantine, who was the enemy of the church, realized that the church got bigger than he was. So instead of trying to battle the church, who was now bigger than he was, what do you do? He embraced it and took it over. And he said, you know what we'll do? Let's build a temple on every corner. And let's put a priest in it and let's conduct, let's get some holy places with holy men. Let's revive the holy books and start doing holy stuff. What do we call that today? The Catholic Church. What's the word Catholic mean, by the way? Universal Church. We're it. And I, I know, I've, my na- I've got some neighbors who are Catholic that love Jesus, and they're as born again as I am. So I, this is not a condemnation on... There's a, a lot of wonderful Catholic believers. And there's a lot of Catholics that are lost in religion. And you know what? I serve in Baptist churches most of my ministry, and there's a lot of people in the Baptist church that are wonderful believers, and there's a lot of them playing religion. All the same. Yeah. So who are we? We are purchased. We're God's people. Redeemed by the blood. Reborn of His Spirit. Reconciled and brought back to God and His family. And that we are, we are now to live by His Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And we are heirs to His kingdom. And you know, what we, you know when we are those things and where we are those things? 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, wherever we go. See, when, when, the, when Moses had the tent, God went with the people. Because every time the people of God moved, they took the tent with them and set it up, right? So God went with them. By the time we built the synagogue and the temple, we had to go where God was. 
Where is that temple, by the way? That temple that Solomon built. Where is it today? Doesn't exist, does it? In fact, there's one little piece of it that's left. What's it called? The Wailing Wall. It's where the Jews go and they pray at this wall because it's the only remaining piece of this temple where the Jews thought God lived. And Jesus said, no, those were symbols. You're the temple. I live in you and you don't have to come where I am because I go where you go. I'm where you are. You are my temple. Uh, Darren said he was talking about, uh, in, in when you read, uh, Ephes- uh, I think it's First Peter 2, it says, we're the living stones. Jesus was the first living stone. He was God living in a man. And he's the cornerstone. And so God is building his temple, his house. And we are that house and we are those stones. And we're individually believers, but together we're the temple. Living stones. And so we really need to understand who we are. There are no more holy men. That doesn't sit right with a lot of religious practices today, but let me tell you what. There are no more holy men. There is a holy nation. The Spirit of God lives in each one of us. We're a nation of priests. What do priests do? They have access to God directly, and they proclaim who God is to others. Guess what? We're a nation of priests. In Christ, we all have access to God, and our job is to proclaim who Christ is to others. We've got to quit playing religion. We've got to get rid of the Old Testament models, and we've got to learn who we are as the church and how to live and what we're to do in this world till Christ comes. And guess what he's coming back for? His church. I'll close with this. There's a lot more. Um, I'm doing a little thing for myself. And it's all the things that Jesus said about this world. Because, boy, this world has, it draws us, doesn't it? This world and the things of this world really draws us. And he said, you can't love this world. You can't be a part of this world. And, boy, I'm so drawn to this world. And, and, and you can go back and read it. And I'll close with this today. Uh, John 17, Jesus is praying. I think it's verse 11, John 17, 11. And Jesus said, I do not pray for this world. Isn't that an interesting statement? How many of us pray for the world? Oh, we need to pray for the world. We need to make the world a better place. Guys, uh, we're never going to make the world a better place. Let's get past that one. If I understand what Jesus taught, this world is reserved for fire, for destruction, and it will get worse and worse and worse. It's not going to get better and better and better. But how many of us, even in the church, well, how are we going to make the world a better place? By the way, we're not. Jesus said, I do not pray for this world. God, I pray for those you've given me out of this world. I pray for the church. What, a building on a street corner with a denominational label? No, a nation of people who've been redeemed, who are now the children of God, who are soldiers and saints in a kingdom in this world, but not of it, to be messengers of truth and life, to be salt and light in this world until Christ comes again. We need to understand who we are 
because who we are will determine what we do. Perception is reality. If we perceive ourselves as a group of people that meet in a building and listen to holy men on holy days and do holy things, and that's what we view the church as, guess what? That's what we'll do. And you know what? Jeremiah 5, they did the same thing in the Old Testament. And here's what Jeremiah chapter 5 says. God says, I've been watching you. Isn't that interesting? God says, I've been watching you. And you know what he was saying? And I'm not impressed. (laughs) I've been watching you, and I'm not impressed at all. What's he looking for? He's looking for us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him, which is our reasonable act of service. To be living sacrifices in this world, wholly acceptable to God, is not an amazing, unbelievable thing. You know what he said? It's reasonable. Well, we look at people and say, they're they're holy and look at all the... Nope. You know what they are? They're just doing what Jesus told them to do. That's the norm. Guys, if we become the norm as the church, the norm of who we're supposed to be, We will not fit into this world. In fact, this world will hate us. But they will be drawn to the Christ we proclaim because they are lost walking in darkness and the light appeared and they loved darkness more than light. And when the light was proclaimed and when Christ was lifted up, men are drawn to Him just like you and I were when we heard of Him and we were drawn to Him. And our job is in the way we live and the things we say and what we do every day is to lift Christ up and people will be drawn to Him and they will enter the kingdom through the narrow gate, through the only way, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We need to know who we are as the church and we need to conduct ourselves as the church in this world, a nation of people who belong to God and while we're here, we'll fulfill His purposes until He comes to take us home And we get to inherit as His children. The kingdom that was prepared for us before the foundations of this world. Let's pray. God, so many times, we, we get off track so easily. We just conform to what's around us. Lord, we all want to, most of us, I know I struggle, I just want to fit in and be liked. And and I do want people to listen to me. I want to represent you in this world, but... I want the world to like me so they'll listen to me. I'm just, Lord, help me to know who we are in this world. Help me to know that we're not alone in this world, that you're with with us even to the end of this age. You're with us and in us to, to give us strength and to be light in us so we can be light into the world. God, help us to know who we are and help us to fulfill your purposes while we're here until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow. Let's thank Benny.